Welcome to the book podcast. My name is Gabe, and we'll be talking about what it means to be saved today. What does it mean to accept Jesus as your Savior? A lot of different opinions on that. A lot of people don't agree. But we're going to be talking to Lucas Kitchen about his book, Eternal Life, Believe to Be Alive. We'll discuss that issue, what it means to believe, what it means to accept Jesus as your Savior. Should be a good topic. Make sure you listen to the end. Additionally, we have some more videos out, shorter videos on how to become a Christian, assurance of salvation. Check out the channel to learn more about those. Um, and make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like the video, right? Shows us how much you are enjoying these. If just shows us that. So make sure to do that. Um, other than that, I hope you enjoy today's podcast. See you in a little bit. Welcome to The Book Podcast, where we discuss books about the book, the Bible, with your hosts, Scott Moffitt, Gabriel Penfield, and Gary Karwaski. Hello to our listeners. This is the 19th broadcast of the book podcast with our author series. If you've not subscribed, we would ask you to and hit the notification bell so that you're certain not to miss any more of our recordings. Uh, if I look different today, it's because I'm not wearing glasses. So uh, I had eye surgery that's uh, making my seeing a little bit difficult, but, uh, you know, hopefully clears up. Today, our author is Lucas Kitchen, and we examine his book, Eternal Life, Believe to Be Alive. Lucas is a fellow graduate of Dallas Seminary, and he has been a podcaster, a pastor, a film producer, and the author of 20 books. Welcome, Lucas. Hey, good to, good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Good to have you with us. Absolutely. And I'm joined today by my grandson, Gabriel Penfield waves and he is a graduate of liberty university and attending word of life bible institute and gary karwaski a fellow pastor who has pastored a church for 36 years and retired guess what last sunday so he's probably tired from all the work of trying to clear up and get all those issues taken care of that you do when you close down a pastorate so gary no, i think the issues are that i i'm leaving i was the issue so i left <laughs> <laughs> probably not needed to be stated we, all yeah. that. <laughs> we also had to deal with the tech issues of the last few minutes we're dealing with our riverside.fm we used to use wasn't working for us but um the book by um uh, lucas kitchen here awesome book i'm just talking about believing right what is a requirement to be saved he looks at in the beginning there's some disagreement in the church right or at least at the very least there's a lot of people who are a little confused on it right and so he kind of goes through the book. Hey, what does it take to believe? Like, what does that look like? And we'll talk about in this podcast, ask him some questions, see what the books tells you, and maybe you can read it for yourself. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's actually free for Kindle, um, or you can buy it for Kindle as well. So good stuff. There you go. Now, Lucas, you probably don't know this, but I did my doctoral dissertation as a survey of pastors in conservative Baptist churches in Washington state, in which I tried to determine what their view of the gospel was much like you talk about wow. in 
one of the chapters of your book. Yeah. And uh, what I found was that there was a lack of consistency, great lack of consistency yeah. with most pastors believing in some kind of formal subtlety of works along yeah. with justification by faith. So uh, my question is, we begin our time together. And then Gary can follow me up here. Sure. Why is there such a lack of consistency in the gospel presentation within churches? Wow. Well, that's that's a great question. You know, yeah. it sounds like your approach was probably more academic than mine, but I noticed the same thing. I polled a lot of people. I polled personally a handful of people at a particular church, but then I spread it out and polled, I think it was a little over a thousand people through mm -hmm. social media and stuff like that. And um, you're exactly right. I mean, what people said you have to do to get saved was all over the map. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't know for sure why that is. I have a few ideas. One idea that comes to mind is where um, Peter talks about uh, the fact that there are those who will twist scripture. They're just, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be people there that twist scripture and then others will hear that and then it will be propagated. I, I think that's part of what's going on. The, the other part of what's probably going on is that we have a very powerful, intelligent enemy, Satan, who wants there to be confusion. Uh, so that, that plays a role. Um, and then an, another aspect, I think, is probably what we see in Paul's writings, where he talks about how in the latter days, there will be people who surround themselves with teachers who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And so I think a combination of those has probably created this perfect storm. But before we begin to think that we are something special in this generation, it's worth remembering that even the apostles were dealing with this in the very first iteration. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's nothing new exactly, but it's always changing. It's a it's a it's a moving target. As soon as you stomp out one heresy, you know, eight more grow in the hydra of heresies uh, <laughs> in the place of the you know. Oh no, that wasn't a stomp. That was a you cut the head off and another grows or something like that. There you but go. that's Mixed what metaphors. heresy feels like. Yeah, yeah, that's what heresy feels like, though, right? Is it just it just mm -hmm. um, it keeps growing and changing, and we have to be vigilant. And we have to we have to be ready to to root it out. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the book in general. And I, I tried to mention this before we got cut off. A um, couple of things I really liked about the book in general. Every chapter starts with a cool story. I love the oh. storytelling. I <laughs> See, I'm a simple guy. So I like the story. And you've got all kinds of diagrams and stuff throughout the book, pictures. So I like stories and pictures. And yeah. they really did communicate really well. I wrote all over this while I was reading it <laughs> uh, as, as well. Um, so in general, I thought it was a really a good read, and I'd suggest people to read, you know, pick it up on their own. It, it kind of looks like this, uh, in, in though it looks backwards there, and um, it's just a simple read. It's very understandable. Um, I found and this oh wait, well researched. You got endnotes all over the place as well, <laughs> so you cover that. So so then from a more of a technical standpoint, I appreciated it as well. Um, yeah, um, let me go to one of our questions here that we have pre-written. Your survey about the content of the gospel shows the divergence of views in churches. Uh, we've already talked about that, but I wondered about the idea of perfect, um, that we need to be perfect. Does perfect mean missing the mark, or does it refer to a process, a maturation process? 
Yeah, and that's that's interesting you say that because I was thinking about this today that there's a couple of places through the Gospels where Jesus talks about, now in this case, he's talking about discipleship. Mm-hmm. And he says, basically, you know, you do these things and then you'll be perfect. But I don't think he means like positionally, you know, righteous before God, perfect when he's saying that. I think what he's saying is you'll be a perfect student. And and, mm-hmm. and the way that I think of that is like, if I were a perfect student, which by the way, I wasn't, but if I were a perfect student, that doesn't mean I show up doing everything right, already knowing all the answers. It means that in the places where I lack knowledge, I learn. In the places where I lack discipline, I grow. In the places where I need maturation, I mature. And and so I think that there are instances in scripture where you see the word perfect. That's an English word, uh, perfect. You see that English word perfect. And I think there might be some fluidity. Now, are there cases where the the scriptures talk about being blameless before God and being perfect in that sense. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think in those cases, you know, we're 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 talking about positional righteousness or positionally mm-hmm. we are considered perfect before God because we've taken on uh, the righteousness of Christ. It's been wrapped around us, and that's what He sees. Um, but the danger is if we begin to conflate those two things so like if if you begin to think that the righteousness that you've received your positional righteousness that you've received in Christ is the same thing as being a perfect student then you've probably you're probably going to wind up with a pretty confused view of the gospel because those are those are separate things. Those are two different things. Um, I, I might have sort of lost track of the question you asked, Gary. Uh, did I did I answer anything, no. or did I just ramble? I think I might have rambled. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, what was the What was the question again? You expect me to remember the question? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, something I mean, about being perfect. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, it, let's just pretend like I answered it. What, what do you think about about being perfect, Gary? You clearly had an idea that kind of leading that off. Gary is perfect. No <laughs> question about that. <laughs> uh, when you're talking about disciples, the term disciples that's used in the Synoptic Gospels, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of maturation. Acts. Yeah, in Acts, uh, is completion. That the, is and Dallas Seminary is always heavy on discipleship. Is that discipleship that was taking place underneath Jesus in the Gospels the same as the discipleship that Paul talks about in um, the epistles? Uh, now it's interesting you say that because I, I just had a pastor call me today and we discussed this like right before this conversation. It's odd that this came mm-hmm. up. So Here's the interesting thing about the word disciple is that it is used in the Gospels, and as you said, it's mentioned in Acts. But then the, in the epistles, the terminology kind of disappears, right. and I don't know exactly why that is. I have theories, but it's probably not good for me to publicly speculate. I don't know exactly why that is. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> well, <laughs> here's my speculation. I think it's possible that what was going on is that there grew a potential for confusion because the original apostles were called disciples. And then when they moved into the uh, the Greco-Roman world, kind of outside of Judea, there could be a confusion of like, when you say disciple, are you talking about the apostles who were Jesus's original disciples who literally followed him around? Or are you talking about like the 
kind of in the macro sense, the, you know, what, you know, what a, a sort of a broader sense of a disciple is. That's kind of how we use the word today is to mean someone who is living the Christian life, but there seems to be a gap between um, the use of that. It, it became popular again later, but in those epistles, you don't see it much. Now, I think an interesting thing about that is that um, this is, this is true of the word follow as well. So, um, Jesus told people to follow him, right? And what he meant by that was literal. And and I think metaphorical too in certain areas, but he literally meant to follow him around. And so people could literally follow him around the Judean countryside. Then once he ascended to heaven, following him became a metaphor. It became something that was not literally to follow him around. And so anytime these words come up, they're they're okay words and we see them in the Bible, so we should be able to use them. I just like to have them defined. I like to I like to know what somebody is what they mean by them. You know, if somebody if somebody is identifying themselves as a Christ follower, I like to know are you saying that's how you got your eternal life by following Christ? And what do you mean by following Christ? And well, like wasn't that? the disciple of Jesus? Um, that was a kind of format that was found even in secular um, Greek culture. Absolutely. People followed yeah. teachers. They were, yep. they were disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Yeah. So Jesus collected his own disciples, but my understanding of the word disciple means learner. Yeah. And so when you follow Jesus, you become his learner yeah. um, rather than the idea of physically following him. Yeah. So um, has that pro- has that been schmoozed or lost or, you know, yeah. what, when I was in seminary, you know, the idea was, uh, especially in the fellowship churches, was to always develop disciples. And yeah. it, isn't that the distinction that we hold between justification and sanctification between being yeah. a believer and being a disciple? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's an easy it's an easy word for people to understand because it's a word that implies action. Um and so so the way that I, I talk about this, I have a book called Salvation Discipleship Salvation and Discipleship. Right. Is there mm-hmm. a difference? Yep. And the and the concept is is really simple. It's that salvation is a one-time gift. It's, it's, it happens by faith alone. Um, an equivalent of that would be by belief alone. There's the same come from the same word. Um, and then discipleship is basically what comes after that, which is a life of, uh, hopefully a life of, um, obedience to Christ. But here's the difficulty with the word disciple in the new Testament is that there were learners who had not who were following Jesus around who had not yet believed. And then there were disciples who, um, who were called disciples, but they, they never believed. Like if you think about John six, it implies, it doesn't say quite directly, but it implies that there were learners of Jesus who never believed from the very beginning. Um, You know, it talks about that in John six. And so, so, well, you could understand that though, as being people who physically followed him and never Believed. never believed. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's how I see that, mm-hmm. that use of it. But the reason why I bring that up is w- what we mean usually today when we say disciple is someone who has already believed in Jesus right. and they're working on living the Christian life. They're and a so learner. when I, when I, they're a learner, yeah, a student. And so when I say disciple, usually that's what I mean. I mean, mm-hmm. somebody who's believed, I don't necessarily mean it in the original sense, you know? Um, so mm-hmm. the way I define it is like someone who, who believed for salvation. And that was a one-time event that happened already. And then 
after that, there is a, um, a, a, you know, an expectation I'll say for them to live the Christian life. Now, Mm -hmm. being a free grace person, um, this is where a lot of people, Um, will debate. My perspective is that discipleship is uh, is something that you can either neglect or you can maintain, and and you have the spirit to help you um, in that process if you so choose to follow it. Um, but as a free grace person, my perspective is that the when we see somebody who has believed but then strays from the path, they still have eternal life. Mm-hmm. They still are saved. But what they're failing in is not salvation. It's discipleship in in the sense that we're talking about. Right. Um, so, I think we'd all agree with that. Yeah, okay, yes. good. Yeah. I, I thought you guys were free grace guys. I was yeah. feeling yes. the vibe, yeah. but I just, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I like to, I like well, to I like Matthew to 28, right? We go to Matthew 28. What does Jesus say to make disciples of all nations? So yeah. we could sit right. here and just be like, okay, here's the book of John, right? Believe. That's it. Hands clean. Let's walk away. Yeah. But Jesus intends more of that. Share the gospel, right? Share the book of John, John 3, 16, right? Have them believe, but then guide them in discipleship, right? Yeah. And, and the, you got to have the right reasons for discipleship as you point out in the book, right? The reason is not to earn salvation. It's not to prove your salvation. It's to show God. Thank you, right? It's a thank you note to God. Yeah. And it's also, you have other books about it, right? Rewards. <laughs> Reward. Yeah. Yeah, can you speak a little bit about rewards? Like, oh, I can um, speak a lot about rewards. Yeah, I mean, I there's so many <laughs> mysteries that uh, that surround eternal reward, but you know, to me, it's one of those beautiful motivators that that God built into the system that He placed to sin. You know, um, and so the basic concept is when we arrive in the kingdom of heaven uh, after this dispensation after this phase there is some form of reward it's talked about all through the new testament yep. but really the whole bible there is some form of reward and my take on it is that the essence of eternal reward is has to do with the 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 closeness of our relationship with the lord now i believe there's actually tangible things that we will receive but they're valuable cuz they represent that relationship that we have with the Lord. And so this really bristles a lot of people, but my my perspective on it is that there will be different levels of reward when we get to heaven, that there will be some who receive very little and some who receive quite a lot. And that it is okay to be motivated by. Some people kind of feel a little funny about being motivated by reward as if it's sort of mercenary or something. But, selfish, right? It's but selfish yeah, but to earn rewards. Yeah, exactly. But we're we're told to, you know. Yeah. I mean, Christ said, "Build up treasure," uh, you know, where the 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 there's no rust and there's no moths and things like that. And so, you know, um, so that's a big motivator. And I, I uh, and I love that concept. And it's so undertaught in the church. And uh, you know, I mean, I grew up and probably heard one sermon about reward all of the years coming up through church. Oh, I didn't yeah. grow up in a free grace church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more common in free grace churches um, because it because it answers that great question. If salvation is free, why wouldn't you just sin a whole bunch and then go to heaven? Well, right. eternal reward is the answer to that. So, Or at least it's part of the answer to that. Yeah. Also, yeah. What's, how it damages our lives. And what's things. the motivation for living the Christian life? Yeah. 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 Rewards. Yeah. Well, that's part of it. I, you know, there's there's a service element as well. I think that we don't want to forego. We're serving our Savior, yeah. And so uh, that is actually reward unto itself as well. Yeah, I'm looking just at First Corinthians chapter three. Yeah. You know, the foundation is Jesus Christ. What we build on it, 
And we could be talking here about the Bema seat. We can talk about the judgment seat of Christ that all believers will stand before. And, uh, you know, some of it's going to get burned up. Some of it's going to last. And that's the basis of our reward. Um, Let's go to the Gospel of John a little bit, because um, one thing that probably... That's what his book is about. uh, Well, one of the things I think is possibly controversial about the book is you pretty much seem to allude to it is the purpose of the Gospel of John almost exclusively to have the content of the Gospel. Some would argue that there are... um, the gospel can be found in other places other than the gospel of John as well. Uh, Scott right, rightly points out uh, the first few verses of First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel is clearly outlined in there. But let's go to that purpose statement in the gospel of John and why you feel so uh, strong, strong about that. Yes. Yeah. Well, first I want to say I do, I do agree that the saving message can be found in other places. I mean, Romans, for instance. Um, one of the difficulties with Romans is that it's complicated. And I mean, I know some people are like, well, it's God's word. So that's what, but if I have to pick between, you know, a, a very difficult verse that, that shares the the saving message, shares the gospel and one that's really simple, I'm going to, it's just my personality. I'm going to lean toward the simple one. So I lean towards, you know, John three sixteen over Romans three, not because Romans three, there's anything wrong with it. It's just, there are so many words that have to be defined in there. And John's approach, in my opinion, was different. John's approach is, it seems to be simple about the saving message, about what it takes, what you must believe in order to have everlasting life. And so I love the gospel of John for that reason. His, his vocabulary in Greek, which I'm not great in Greek. I, I did it in seminary and I haven't really looked back for the most part, but, but my understanding of his Greek approach is that he, he limited his vocabulary to like about 600 words. And so, yeah. And so when Greek students are learning Greek, a lot of times they'll learn from the gospel of John. Why? Because it's simple. It's clear. It's written in that way. Now that's not to denigrate any of the other scripture. Paul was a philosopher. He was dealing with, uh, you know, big ideas and he was putting a lot in there. John was talking to children, in my opinion, you know, and so even my kids can understand the gospel of John. So that's one piece of it is just, it's, it's beautiful simplicity, but none of that would matter except for John 20, 30, and 31, which, which explains why he wrote it. You know, he, he, he talks about the fact that he wrote these things, which he's talking about the, the signs, the things that had come before. He wrote these things uh, for, for a purpose so that people could have life. And he explains that the method for having life uh, is by believing in his name, that, that being Christ. Um, and so that's the, that's the purpose statement of John. And it's, it's very, you know, it's very clear. So could you find the gospel message other places? Absolutely. But I love the gospel of John for its simplicity and its stated purpose statement that lets us know that that's what he's trying to accomplish. That brings me to a question that's always bugged me Okay, from seminary on until this time. And I can't find anybody that can really answer it. Uh, During the ministry of Jesus, he came and he presented himself to the people as being the Christ, the Messiah, terms you're using. And they believe, some believed right away, like you point out in your book. And others um, did not. They waited until 
Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, and many, including his own brother, came to faith. But yeah. the difference is Jesus was asking them to believe under the law in him as the Christ, the promised Messiah. That is completely distinct from the New Testament version of Jesus in which it's, he's died, buried, and rose again. So in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to the cross. In the New Testament, they're looking back towards the cross. So while it's the same Jesus that has died and paid for their sins, it's a there's a different set of context in which to place it. Otherwise, the trouble I have is if a Jew believes that in Christ the Messiah, why aren't they saved? Why why do they why do they if they believe in a in a coming Messiah and a coming Jesus, which is what the Old Testament promises, why aren't they saved now just like uh, we are in the New Testament era. Mm. So there seems to be, and it also, you know, you have the dispensational view here, which is that Christ came to offer himself to be their Messiah. And if they had accepted him, was it a legitimate offer? Would they have instantly had Jesus as their king that most dispensationalists say, yes. Yeah. You understand that? So. You, oh, you yeah. understand I mean, the importance of my question? Yeah. I think yeah, there's yeah. confusion in the, Yeah. let me just finish this. There's confusion in the, um, gospels, and we want to force people to be believing in Jesus as the complete Savior as we understand him today. And I don't believe they did. And I think the proof of that is this. before, Right before Jesus died, he had to blow on his disciples, the Holy Spirit, to infuse them with power. They did not have the indwelling of the Spirit. And we know that as the sign of the New Testament. So I have this confusion that I can never get straight because I keep hearing people talk about people being saved like they're in the church, in the in the in the biography, the gospels, but it rubs with what I know about the real church and and the beginning of it. Yeah, boy, you know if if you brought me on to answer big questions like that, you got the wrong guy. I, I mean, I have like some. Opinions, oh wait a minute! Stop the stop the recording. So over my, <laughs> you know. Well, but I I do have a couple of thoughts on that. Right. I mean, I, I, what I like is mm -hmm. uh, about some of the things you said is. I find myself wanting consistency exactly between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I'm not I'm not sure about all the details, but I am convinced that it was always by faith alone. Mm -hmm. um, now some people would say that the content of the gospel changed after the cross. Mm -hmm. I I'm not sure I put myself in that camp. I don't yeah. know. I don't think yeah. I would. I think what I would say is that the evidence that they could believe was was hugely strengthened um but but I, I let me let me add a big question to the pile let's say that somebody had believed in the coming christ um 5 years before he showed up and then they saw jesus and said oh no i don't believe that is the coming christ would i mean we don't believe that somebody could get unsaved so what happens in that situation i have no idea i don't know but it kind of falls in that same that same you know, category question you're asking. I, I don't but, know. It's it's such an odd. Well, you it's also such have, an odd time. You know, you have the temple where they have to go and place their hands on the lamb and pass their sins symbolically into that lamb to have the forgiveness of God for that year. Where we don't have to do that because it's been imputed to us. We've been forgiven. Where they had to go through extra efforts. To be right with God and the fullest sense of the understanding. I, I don't well, those, those, where, those extra efforts me. are those extra efforts are more of the after they're saved part, though, or after they have believed in the coming Messiah or believed on 
Jesus in the past, right? Because I mean, you would agree um, that salvation is the same as you just said, it's faith alone. In the Old Testament, you're looking towards the Messiah. You believe that the coming Messiah will save you. In the New Testament, you argue in the book, we believe that that Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, has saved us, yeah. right? And has given yeah. us eternal life. Yeah. Right. But I, yeah. what I'm saying is in the Old Testament, they believed in a future payment for them. It, we, they were not saved. Saved is a past tense word. We look back to the cross. We're saved. They looked future to the cross. So they were believing in something that they knew was going to happen, but they weren't saved yet because the payment had not been made. It's sort of like, I want to buy your boat. I promise I'll give you $200,000 for the boat. But I, until I actually hand over the check and pay for it, I, I, it's not fully paid for. There might be a promissory note, but it's the whole thing's not a done deal. I don't know. It's you know, one way, to, one way to frame it differently would be to yeah. say, mm-hmm. did Old Testament believers have eternal life in the same sense that we do? Mm-hmm. And I'm not actually sure the answer to that because we, would, we mm-hmm. usually associate having eternal life also with being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But we would say that Old Testament believers weren't indwelled by the Holy Spirit as we are today. So, so I don't know. So like, for me, that that's the terminology I see in the gospel of John. So like, can we take that terminology and drag it into the old Testament system? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's not a yes or secure. no for me. I'm yeah. just not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me try to clarify maybe a little bit with some thoughts as well. Um, so Abraham believed in God and God counted it to him for righteousness. That's quoted in, in the new yes. Testament. Yeah. Yes. Over so and yes, over. faith alone in Christ alone, or in, in, in the promise, alone, mm-hmm. in the amount of revelation that a person mm-hmm. has, it would is what got them. If you want to use the word Scott, uh, saved, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's progressive revelation. We have to be careful as dispensationalists that we don't see hard and fast lines between each of the each of the dispensations. There's a an overlap. There's a. I would ask why not. Uh, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> and he would say, "Be quiet." I'm speaking. Don't ask any of the questions. I'm Jesus, here. Jesus, that's the answer. Jesus. Yeah. But, but clearly, clearly, you can see that transition, a transition period in the Gospels with Christ being there. Mm-hmm. There he is. He shows up. He asks people to believe on him, believe in him for eternal life. Some do, some don't. Um, and yet, we do know that the church didn't begin until Acts two and Pentecost. So there's a transitional period there, though the Gospels technically are in the uh, the, the dispensation of law. We know right. that, but yet there's a the coming of the Christ who is making that transition to the church age and sending mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. So I don't know. Uh, I, I like it's I a like good question, way, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a good I think question. It's a really good question. <laughs> and we may never know the answer for sure, but I like the way you put it. Right? How much revelation do we have? Right, Adam and Eve in the first, they only had that promise. Um, again, in your book, they had the promise of Satan's head would be crushed. Right, Satan would bruise the coming um, Eve's descendant's heel, and yeah. that descendant would crush the serpent's head. Right, they had that promise, and they believed in that. And as time w- went on, they received more and more. Okay, the coming there's going to be a Messiah. Right, then they received more and more, born of a virgin. Right, and they received more and more. So the question is, how much of that do they have to believe to be saved? So I guess. Yeah. Make it a little bit simpler. What do we have to believe to be saved? Yeah. Right. Just the basis. What do we have to believe? Well, you know, I think so. You're bringing up a good point. Let's imagine for a second that um, we're in that we're in the Garden of Eden, 
And God has one of the most important conversations with humankind of all time. And it lasts one sentence. I don't think it did. I think that I think mm. the Bible's what what's written down in scripture sometimes is just it's 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 an important piece that describes the conversation that happened. So I actually believe that they had a lot more revelation about the Christ than is technically written down. One of the reasons why I say that is because of Acts 10:43. It says all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So it says all the prophets testify about him. So I mean like if you're looking back all the way through all the prophets, I mean that's a really big statement said there in Acts that that all of the prophets that we know about, we we have these messages from them and they're about things that, you know, aren't really about Jesus as far as we can tell. But apparently they were also talking about the coming Messiah in ways that didn't get ri- written down because we don't have much of that mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. We have little we have little peaks and like the curtain gets pulled back. We're like, oh, there's a little Messiah, you know, statement. But uh, but this makes it sound like every single prophet was saying a lot that we don't have. And so the difficulty is like, you know, trying to piece together. That's an together. argument from silence though. It is. Yeah. Like, and that's yeah. the problem with it. It's hard to say what, what did they know? And we don't, we just don't know. Let me, let me share something with you that I thought has clarified it for a lot of people. And here's this in the old Testament, what are believers called there? Saints. No. They're what? called the children of Israel of Israel. And how did God lead them? He led them around by their nose. He gave them a fire to follow, a cloud to follow. He told them how much to eat, how much not to eat. He dictated every moment of their day in life. And then Jesus comes along. And what does he say to his disciples? I call you my friends. The whole relationship between God and man changed from the temple to the New Testament. And so salvation was hugely impacted by that. They do not live the life that we live today as Christians because they didn't have the information that we have. Jesus said in the Old Testament, thou shall not kill. He said, don't even even think about it. Raka, right? So, I mean, the whole dynamic has changed. Hasn't that impacted salvation too? Uh Uh-oh. It's the Lord calling. (laughs) I don't know. That, that's kind of the way I tried to explain it to my people, the difference between the Old and the New Testament. There, there is yeah. a marked difference between folks. So is, is it your contention is that it's believe, believe in the promise of, yeah. of yeah. Jesus as the Savior? Yeah. And so we don't know exactly what information they had. We know that Abraham had something that that worked as the saving message. I agree totally. For him, you know, because he believed you know, he believed and and it was accounted to right to him as righteousness. And then if I couple that with that verse from Acts, where it talks about how all of the prophets, all the prophets testify about, you know, that forgiveness comes through. And here's an interesting thing. Uh, it says that um, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so it makes it sound like they were aware, they might've been aware of his, what his name would be. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the Old Testament. And so that is a different image than I heard growing up. What mm-hmm. I heard growing up it was sometimes that, you know, oh, they they were saved by following the law. Well, I don't believe that no. at all anymore. No. I believe it's it was by faith. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm moving towards a point where I think it was actually believing in 
the coming Messiah, and maybe they even had an idea of what his name would be. But I, that I can't prove exactly, but that verse kind of implies that, it kind of makes me feel like they had a lot more information than maybe got written written down. But that's a lot of that's speculation, and I wouldn't I wouldn't die for that one. I don't know. Um, that's more of just sort of the fun. Uh, there's this category in my mind, uh, uh, speculative theology. And so that, that a lot of that for me falls into speculative theology. I don't know mm-hmm. those things, but, but they're fun to, they're kind of mm-hmm. fun to think about. So, yeah, let me cl- clarify this just a little bit. So this is my preaching Bible. Is this all of God's revelation? Hmm. It is not. Well, I don't it know. Is, did you rip, it, did you rip a book out of it? No, I don't think I did. <laughs> this is all of God's special revelation. revelation. Yeah, general form. revelation. Yeah. Okay, because there's others. There's things written that are not written in here that happened, but they're not. They didn't get into the book. Mm, even your, yeah. even your John chapter twenty. Yeah, yeah, it talks uh, about that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, there's a lot of things that Jesus did. That yeah. a lot more. In fact, he goes on. John, John will say. Books, library before books couldn't hold all the stuff. Yeah. But these are the things that are written. These are the things you need to know. So I don't know if it's so much speculative theology as it is. Um, this is this is what God wants us to know. And yeah. It's sufficient. Yeah. And it's sufficient. I totally agree. Yeah. We have what we need for, you know, for for gaining eternal life, but also for godliness. And, and thank the Lord that we do. This is all stuff that we're going to have in seminary in heaven uh, <laughs> that we're going to, we're going to be picking up classes on what, you know, what did the prophets know class? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no kind of yeah. 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 I wonder, you know, like for the first thousand years, I wonder if we'll be able to get an appointment with Abraham. You know, I mean, people say, I want to go talk to Abraham, but I'm thinking that dude's going to be busy because people, lots of people have questions, you know? And so I wonder how that works. Like, will he give talks, you know, where he's like, well, there's, I got a thousand people want to answer some, me to answer some questions, you know, it's really neat to think about. I, I love taking heaven and putting it in practical terms and thinking about like, you know, we will still be people. We will still be thinking physical creatures when we're in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, so many incredible experiences that we're going to have that we can not even probably dream about now. So that's my little hobby horse. I'll, there you I'll go. put that there on the side. But <laughs> yeah, you're going to stand in line waiting for Abraham and you'll be talking saying, man, it feels like an eternity that I've been waiting in line. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. But I liked at the end, you're, you're talking about kind of sharing the gospel. And that's what stood out to me because um, just over the summer, I was with a guy from Word of Life. He goes from city to city sharing the gospel mm. and was able to see what he did, help him out, um, kind of learn from him. But one of the things he pressed was ask questions, right? Mm. Ask questions. Yeah. And I love the way you put it, where you can talk with somebody, you can repeat the same thing over and over and over and over again. They're going to be nodding. They're not going to interrupt you. They're going to be polite. And then yeah. by the end of it, they may not know what you're talking about. Like one yeah. of his stories was um, he was talking, he, he was speaking Spanish with a guy. He can speak some Spanish. So he's speaking Spanish with this guy for like 10 minutes. The guy's nodding, speaking, giving him the gospel in Spanish, nodding, nodding. And then by the end of it, it's like, do you understand that? Ask some Spanish. The guy's like, nope, I speak Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nope. But the way you put it is with questions, have them yeah. talk. So um, yeah. can you touch on maybe a few questions? You have seven in the book. I really like the one. How many sins did Jesus die for? Mm, That's yeah. a great question. What do you yeah. have any other questions you would advise? Any other questions that would be good that to get deep into people? Like, to, yeah, absolutely. To explain themselves. So most of the questions. So 
I'm just, I use these with my kids. My kids are young, um, but I believe Jesus when, when he told us that the kingdom of God is for kids too, you know, so that to me says that children can understand the gospel. So I'll approach my kids with questions that are mostly about definitions of the words in John 3.16. So we'll talk mm-hmm. about John 3.16 or some other verse from, from John, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe from Ephesians or Galatians or something like that, but, but usually from the gospel of John, because it's, it's nice and simple. And then I'll ask them, generally I'll ask them, what is eternal life? And I'll ask them, how do you get eternal life? Um, I'll ask them, what do you have to believe in Jesus for? Because I think that's important. Uh, the, the idea, like, I'm not believing in Jesus for a car or for wealth or for health. I'm believing in him for salvation or for, you know, eternal life. Um, so it's questions like that that are really natural when you're just when you're really just trying to find out if somebody understands what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... If you start asking so many questions and they don't have answers, you don't have to freak out. You just start over. You just start over and go through the verse again and just clarify and then ask the questions again. And you just do it as many times as they'll allow you to. Most people mm-hmm. you do the same thing three times and they'll think you're crazy. But who cares? We're trying to get the gospel across here, right? So, um, so you know, my take is just you know, we're not, I'm not in the business of telling people that they're not saved. I'm not in the business of telling people that they never believed in the first place. I'm just in the business of clarifying to the best of my ability, what the gospel is and making sure that people understand it. And to me, that is so much less intimidating than having to get somebody to, you know, follow some prescribed action that would then maybe imply they're saved or not. I don't, I don't know anything about that stuff. What I know is that Jesus said people can believe. And of course there's some that will refuse to, but it's just, it's the simplest thing in the world. It's not always the easiest, but it's simple when we just, we stick to what scripture says and we just continue to clarify and do our best to make sure that they understand. And, um, yeah. And so are, that's, it's an exciting approach to me. Yeah. Are there any other verses you'll go to? Like say they have a struggle, like I'm not really a sinner, right? I'm a pretty good person or maybe I, I don't believe in eternal life, right? Something doesn't happen yeah. after death. Are there other verses you go to for that? Yeah. So there's, so that's an interesting one. So a lot of people will major on telling people that they're a sinner. Mm. My personal approach, I'm more interested in whether they know they're going to die or not, because mm. to me it's, it, sin plays a big role, obviously, but the thing that that plays the biggest role is you are dead and you need eternal life, you know. And so, if somebody, when you define sin and you explain what you mean by it, most most people are like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I'm I'm a sinner. But what I'm really interested in is, do you know that you're going to die? And everybody knows that. And I think that's why the Gospel of John. Uh, you know, Jesus in the gospel of John focuses on life and death so much because it is a universal experience from the time we're three or four. We know we're going to die eventually. And we know that we don't want to die. And we know that we want to live forever. It's just like this universal thing. And so to me, that is a beautiful foundation for building on top of and explaining the role that Christ offered himself for in that, um, you know, in that schema. So if somebody said, I'm not a sinner, I would probably put a pin in that and be like, we're going to come back to that, but let's focus on, do you have eternal life? Because if, if they say they're not a sinner, 
then the obvious conclusion should be, oh, well, good, because you're going to you're going to live forever if you're not a sinner, because only sinners die. You know, so to Mm -hmm. me, it still comes back to death. I mean, it's sort of like by proxy. If you're going to die, it's because you're a sinner. So it it kind of fits as a package once somebody will admit that, oh, yeah, I'm going to die and I need eternal life. Hmm. Um, So I know that's kind of a different approach. And a lot of people will go in and start with you're a sinner. That's a that's an okay approach, too. I think that's good. And if you don't if you share the gospel and don't mention sin, you probably have made a mistake. But um but yeah, it's not my first talking point, I guess yeah. I'd say. But so, you, the perishing is the result of sin. So absolutely, go yeah, hand it is. Hand. Yeah. yeah, it is. And it, so it fits into- it But fits that's into, not annihilation. Everyone, yeah, has, yeah, everyone has eternal life. Yeah. I mean, you say, do you want eternal life? Everybody has it because you either go to heaven or you go to hell, but it's, you don't die. It's not annihilation. You're alive forever. Um, yeah. Which th- is why- a, which is why I asked the question, what is eternal life? Mm-hmm. So if somebody goes that route, what I'll say is, well, let me tell you how the gospel of John defines eternal life. It's, it's life that lasts forever with God. So it's a quality of life. It's a, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, I mean, I guess you could say a location or something, but it's, it's not, it's not eternal existence. So I just right. lean on what the gospel of John, how the gospel of John defines it, because if you read through, he's clearly saying, you will be with me, you know, and, and it'll you like be to experience. shy away from though, the terms heaven and hell. If I remember you, didn't you say that in your book? Oh, I'm it's, not against them. No, that if, if some shy if that, away from them. Yeah. So I, I prefer, I prefer life, uh, eternal life and perishing or death or whatever, just because that's what's in the verse. A lot of right. times what happens is we'll, mm-hmm. we'll read a verse and then we'll accidentally bring things in from other verses and not even realize we've just done it. And so it's really just an attempt to try to stick to whatever verse the scripture says. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like, like saved, saved is in the next verse. Mm -hmm. And so I'll use saved and I will use heaven. And because like in that chapter, if you go back, he says, he talks about entering the kingdom. The extended title of that is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You got to be born, uh, born again to enter the kingdom of God. So he's talking about heaven already and it's right there in the chapter. So it's not hard to jump to that if somebody's confused about it or whatever. Mm. Uh, but no, I really like, I really like the focus on death and the need for eternal life, which is life that lasts forever with God, because nobody would disagree with, I mean, virtually nobody would disagree that they're going to die. Everybody, it's just a place we can start. But I've had atheists tell me they don't want to be in heaven. I've had people say they don't believe in heaven or whatever. So I want to go you know, to hell and be there with all my friends. That's yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's a little bit, it, it's sort of a strategic thing to kind of just be like, well, let's jump right to the point. Do, would you like to live forever? I actually did have an atheist say, I don't want eternal life in general. I, you know, he'd rather be annihilated or something. And I was yeah. like, well, that's sorry. Not about that. It's not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, let me ask you this. Is substitution part of the gospel and is it important for a person to know to be saved? Substit- like um, substitutionary death? Yeah. Christ took your place on the cross, died in for you, suffered for your sins, rather than it's just a promise. I'm giving you this. Do you have to understand the theory, the, the doctrine of substitutionary death of Christ in your place? Yeah. I'll give you my take on it. Um, mm-hmm. But I also admit that even within the free grace community, there are differences of opinions right. on this. Yes, there are. 
Yeah. And so, so I'm going to, I'm going to be cautious how I answer this, but the way, so my perspective is that, see, I like how you said that is, is substitution. I probably should just be direct. I, I actually think that somebody can believe in Jesus for everlasting life and know not know how he is able to give it the way i the way i see the work on the cross is the difference between what's under the hood and how to drive the car i feel like a person needs to know that they need to believe in jesus they need to to you know that's how they get salvation is believing in jesus for that free gift uh in my mind you know what's under the hood is substitutionary death is, um, you know, his atonement. Um, and it would be irresponsible to not talk about that. I think when we're talking about the gospel, um, and so, but does, does a child understand that? And so this, it does a lot for me comes back to what can a child understand? A child probably could, but in my mind, this, you know, I'm not sure if children understand substitutionary atonement, um, but I know they can understand because I've seen it happen with my own kids. I know they can understand that you believe in Jesus for something and he gives it to you. So to me, that's the basic building block. But I'm not I'm not um, for me, that's one of those things that's kind of kind of like uh I'm not out to not talk about that. I guess that's the way I'd put it, because okay. if I'm wrong about it, we definitely need it in there, you know? So, um, so it comes up. So the way, like when I, even when I'm talking about John three sixteen, admittedly, I kind of have to go out of outside of what's in John three sixteen because I do talk about him dying on the cross for our sins. So it's, it's part of it. Um, it's in the gospel of John. So it's, you know, it's all part of the gospel. Um, and so in my, in my, take it's part of the gospel presentation um but here's the thing okay so so maybe this is a a middle ground though if somebody said well i believe in jesus for everlasting life but i don't believe that he died for my sins i'd be like whoa wait a minute let's start over because you know that's a pretty fundamental you know it's a fundamental doctrine um and so i would have real concern that they've even understood the gospel if they're like disagreeing or not um you know, but trying to pare down what the essential building block, the essential pieces of the the content of the gospel, trying to get down to that has caused a lot of controversy. And I'm really nervous. You can tell. I'm, am I sweating yet? I mean, do I look like I'm sweating? Um, you know, so that's that's my take on it. But I want to be respectful of other guys. Right. That, well, your book is um, arguing for a very specific. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Position on that. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. I do have one correction to your book. <laughs> and, and, and I hope you make this because it was a profound mistake. Queen hardware. is not oh. an American band. Queen is a British band. Queen is a British band. Uh, and, and you need to go and make that correction. Yeah. Let's see. I'm trying uh, to think of what, what did I, did I quote them? Oh, who wants you, to live forever? Who wants to, yeah. Um, yeah. You said that directly that they were a British band. They, they, were, so, they were an American band. That's, I mean, yeah, yeah they're American. Isn't band. that funny that that, yeah. I probably will get more flack for that. <laughs> I could probably totally misquote verses, but that's what I'm just gonna, teasing. You that's know. what they're going to get uh, me for. What I really liked about your book, <laughs> what I really liked about it was your uh, uh, eternal security view of the seven never statements. I found that very helpful. Those are good. Book of John. Oh, okay. Thank uh, you. I yeah. found those were really, really good. And I had not thought about it before, but I will 
use it in the future. Um, so uh, yeah, eternal I, security is really difficult for people, except for Gabe, because he just did a podcast on it. Oh, um, okay. And um, what, what is your view of eternal security? I'm an eternal security extremist. I mean, whatever the most fundamental, like as, as hard line as you can be. Um, now, a lot of people kind of try to like be soft about it. I just feel mm -hmm. like I just want people to know where I am on this. Mm -hmm. To me, it, it sounds crazy to say because we talk so much about behavior mm -hmm. uh, as Christians. But when we're talking about behavior, we're not talking about for salvation. So some people ask, like, are you saying that somebody could believe in Jesus for eternal life and then go and do whatever they want and sin and sin, sin, sin? I was yeah. like, yes, yeah. that yes, is yeah. what the Bible is saying to me. Gary's an example of that. <laughs> Gary's doing that. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it's just why that would have to be an extreme view. I don't know. I think there were, you know, times in history where it wasn't an extreme view, but it feels like an extreme view now. It's like this minority view. Um, and so it's like eternal security now comes with all of these caveats in most churches. Right. Um, you know, people will say once saved, always saved, but then there'll be like this little proviso or little, you know, appendum that comes with it. And it's like, but you got to remember that, you know, you never believed in the first place if you, whatever. Right. To me, that's just craziness. I mean, the idea that that a God that could invent the incredibly specific laws of quantum mechanics would come down to earth and leave the gospel vague is crazy. And mm -hmm. so to me, it's like the gospel is something that we can understand. It's something that we can accomplish because he said we could. And so the idea that someone would go their whole life thinking they believed and then find out that they didn't believe in the first place that would be really irresponsible law writing or, you know, mechanics of, you know, writing the way the universe works. That just would be so irresponsible. And well, so, yeah, go ahead. How many biblical personalities are there, personages that give terrible lifestyle examples and they're saved? I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, yeah, Matt, absolutely. Peter, yeah. I mean, so on and so forth. That's that's where I usually go when I try to explain that your behavior is not the indicator of your salvation. Yeah. It's what you believe in. Well, a great one is Saul, King Saul. Yeah. I mean, King Saul committed suicide. He was in a rotten place at the end of his life. But when he called up, was it Samuel or who did he call up from the medium, yeah, yeah, the yeah. prophet? What was oh, her the name? Of Endor. Endor, yes. yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he called up. But the last thing that the prophet Samuel. says to he him called is, up Samuel. Samuel, yeah. Uh, tomorrow you'll be with, you know, we'll be together or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so what he's saying yeah. is wherever Samuel was, which we're pretty sure Samuel was saved, wherever Samuel was, that's where Saul wound up. And Saul was a mess. He did not end his life following the Lord. He, he committed suicide at the end. And so, you know, it's just, even then, even back then when, I mean, it was still faith alone, but even we have all those questions, even secure eternal security was a thing back then. And so I'm just an extremist on it. I, I hope I'm a kind extremist, but I just, to me, it makes all the difference uh, in, in so many different areas of ministry. One huge area that it makes a difference in is apologetics. I've had so many conversations with atheists who grew up in the church, believed as children. Now, whether they believed a clear gospel or not, I don't know, but let's just take it for granted that they did. And then they 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 grow up and their their life goes a different route. Apologetics works so much different if you're a free grace person than if you're a lordship person. I agree. Because a yeah. lordship person has to say, well, you got to get your life right. 
now to make sure that you really can believe or did believe or whatever. A free grace person can stand toe to toe with an atheist and say, if man, if you believed when you were a kid, we'll be in heaven together, but we just got to work on what's going on in your life right now. You know, Uh, and the thing about sin, sin changes how you believe things. Sin hardens your heart. It, mm-hmm. it, it brings your mind away from where it ought to be. And I think that's what has happened with lots and lots of atheists and people that have wandered from the faith. It's really about sin most of the time. I agree. Um, um, you, I'm just looking at the very last page of your book. Uh, he's finally seven, reading it, by the way. <laughs> I'm finally reading it. He's I just finally finished the book. No. Um, and it's question seven. Uh, and this relates to what we've just been talking about. If you were to do something really bad and then die, would you go to heaven or hell and why? Good question. Mm-hmm. Very good question. And most people would be stumped on that. How do yeah. we answer that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how my uh, I'll tell you how my 7-year-old answers it. She says, "No, daddy, I have eternal life." <laughs> you know, it's just it's so clear and so like, you know, people that answer it different have been conditioned to answer it different. Because if I said, I'm going to give you an eternal gift. And then I said, well, you have it two weeks from now. You'd say, well, of course it's an eternal gift. And so when people are confused about what eternal means, it's because they've been conditioned through bad theology and bad teaching in church to think that an eternal gift doesn't stick around forever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a child can understand it and probably in some ways more easily than adults who have been listening to questionable theology for years and years. Yeah. We make it too complicated. Um, Eternal security and uh, assurance. I guess I I go to John ten yeah. uh, for that all the time. So I have yep. uh, no one can take them out of my hands, and no one can take them out of the Father's hands. Yeah. I've had people say to me though over the years, yeah, but you could take yourself out. And I'm saying mm-hmm. I ask them, show me that in this passage. Here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> show yeah. me that here. It says no one doesn't that, and that excludes Include you. You, yeah. and so I've always, yeah. always used the all state. You're in good hands with all state. <laughs> yeah. Now you're in the hands of the father, the hands of the son. Are you strong enough to open up those hands so you can sneak out? Yeah. I don't think so. You're dating yeah. yourself, Gary. Yeah. Hey, yeah. They still use it. They still use it. Yeah. Well, we're in the yeah, father's we... hand and then Jesus is holding on. And then we're also sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's so like we got yeah. the fathers, but then we yeah, got like the triple, other parts of the Trinity too. It's the triple Ooh, the grip. triple grip. Yes, yeah. I like it. Yeah. So sometimes I'll say on that, like, you know, you look at the verse, it says nobody can take you out of his hands. And then you could say, well, are you a nobody? And they're, then they're in a, a tight spot because they're either a nobody or they're a somebody. But if they're a somebody, that means they can't take themselves out of their hand, out of his hands. If they say they're a nobody, you could say, you're not nobody because Christ died for you. So yeah. you're a somebody, you know? So it just, if you just think, if you think through that verse with them, it's a great, it's a great point, Gary. I mean, if you think through that verse with them, uh, there's no, there's no way to, to work your way out of that hand. I mean, God has quite a grip. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an impressive grip. So. I normally begin our interview with the uh, author by asking why I wrote the book. And I didn't do that today because I'm going to start a new thing. Um, which is I had someone once tell me of one of my professors at DTS that if I wrote something, I should be able to reduce it to one sentence, you, whatever you're writing a book, you know, a theme paper or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so how would you reduce your book to one sentence that encapsulates the point of it 
for us and for our readers. So then they don't have to read the book like Gary. Yeah. Yeah. Well then the, the, this one sentence is going to be worth 12 bucks. So um, yeah. So the way I would say it is I'm going to do this on the fly. I should have this in mind already probably, but I'm going to do this on the fly. Mm -hmm. I would say uh, if you want the free irrevocable gift of eternal life, you simply believe in Jesus for that free gift, something like that. Yeah. Good. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yep. I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> easy as it gets. Um, it's a little too easy, right? It's simple. Yeah. Well, but, that's um, why people, yeah, I think people have a problem with that. So why how did simple I read it? Is. Why did I buy this? And read this <laughs> yeah. It was so good. I, I love what you did there, especially when you're answering um, my grandpa got the, the idea of the sub- substitutionary death, right? You answered it very well where mm. uh, you don't know exactly where, like, I don't know exactly God's mind on how it works, but very simply, we believe in Jesus for eternal life. And when yeah. you're explaining Jesus, the idea of his death and resurrection are very tied up in that, right? Yeah. And if yeah, you believe absolutely. in Jesus, very few people on earth are going to, wait, he died for my sins and rose again? Yeah, but, that's true. Yeah, that's like, almost a given nowadays. I mean, people yeah. already people have that as kind of a mantra in their mind. So it's almost a lot of times something that you don't have to really put a lot of energy into except that there are people that don't believe that Jesus existed or don't believe that Jesus was divine. And so if you're dealing with one of those types of people, there's more groundwork you got to lay anyway. Most Um, people in my view and in my research for my, my dissertation, they understand the gospel in four, four or five steps, hmm. you know, repent, believe, turn, that kind of stuff. But what you're saying is there's only one step. Yeah. Yeah. So believe. One essential step, but there are lots of things that lead up to the moment when someone becomes convinced, you know, so, and it goes back to that discussion we had about a learner or a disciple. Mm -hmm. There were people that followed Jesus for quite a while before that moment happened where they, they believed. And then there were some people who like the first day they met him, they just kind of sized him up and was like, yep, that's the guy. You know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of like Nathaniel. He right. was sitting under the tree and something yep. weird happened. We don't know exactly what it was. And he was like, oh, you're the king of Israel. You're the the one that God sent, you know? So, yep. um, but then there's others that like spent lots of time with him and, you know, the, them becoming convinced and becoming believers took longer. So I can't remember why I went into that, but. To use one of your words, some are easily persuaded. Easily persuaded. Others yeah. it take more. Yeah, well, like Charlie Bing said, I love the way he puts it, right? The gospel is simple. It's not necessarily easy, right? There could be pride. There could be other beliefs. There could be countless other things holding you back from believing. It's simple, but it's not far from easy. And the way you put it is that it's, or you go. One of your your chapter titles is uh, you don't need to know it all. Yeah. You know, you just need to know what you need to know. And uh, I I liked your... um, it's an intellectual understanding. It, yeah. You are being convinced in your mind. You're being persuaded. It is an intellectual action. It's not a feeling. Yeah. It, it's it's not something you work up, but you're persuaded intellectually that this is true and can save you. Sort of like, yeah. a, you know, you go to a doctor and he says, I'm going to give you this medicine. And it's going to fix you up. I, yeah. Well, you can believe that or you don't have to believe it. Right. Until you take the pill and then it does work or you get the operation. So yeah. it's an intellectual. Uh, what do they what do they always accuse us of, Gary? Uh, uh, intellectual assent is yeah. probably yeah. mental assent. Yeah. Mental, mental assent. Yeah. yeah. And it's true. It is mental assent. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I really, in this book, I was a little nervous about that, but I really leaned into it and just decided, you know, I'm just going to say what I think it is because I found myself trying to say, oh, no, no, it's not that. It's this other thing. And then I'm like, this other thing I just talked about is (laughs) that. So, no, yeah, it is that. But, but with a caveat. So it is, it's mental assent that Christ gives me this free gift, you know? So it's not, it's not, it's not just mental assent that, that Christ existed in history or that, you know, Jesus was, you know, right. Mental ascent to the right back. Yeah. To the right content. And, uh, but with that caveat, it is just believing it's true, just being convinced that it's true. And, um, and that's why, you know, sometimes we'll get asked like, why is it that God values faith or belief? You know, why not obedience or some other thing? And I think the reason might be because it puts us all on an even playing field. I mean, if if one of us was born to an alcoholic parent and then we became an alcoholic and we found out that you can't go to heaven if you're an alcoholic, well, it's not real fair for that person. That's going to be a lot harder for them if that's what gets them into heaven. But whether you're an alcoholic or you're a, you know, whatever, everybody is capable of believing. Now, there are those that refuse to do so, mm-hmm. as it says in John 5, but everybody's capable. And so it puts us on this even this sort of even playing field where anybody, regardless of their background, can get into heaven by belief or can, you know, get eternal life yeah. uh, by belief. Yep. But I appreciate you for reading the book, coming on the podcast with us. Um, before we end, are there any, like, do you have a new book coming out? Do you have any res- YouTube channel, resources, website? Where can you direct our listeners to where they can learn more about you and find your resources? Thank you for asking that. Um, the hub of everything that I and the ministry that I work with are doing is freegrace.in, www.freegrace.in. We have all kinds of stuff on there. Um, we've got a new guy that's with us now, Sean Lazar. He's mm-hmm. writing a daily devotional blog, which is fantastic. He's a great writer, but he's also doing a podcast version of that. I do daily videos. I write books, but I want to tell you about my next big epic project. Ooh. It's a little bit it's a little bit odd, but it is a epic sci-fi. Epic is, this, cri- is this breaking news? Breaking <laughs> well, news? I haven't talked about it publicly maybe at all, but it's a it's an epic Christian sci-fi. <laughs> the original title was going to be Missionary to Mars. I think I'll change the title, but that gives you a sense <laughs> of kind of what what it's Does he be. step I, into a wardrobe and he's taking <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you, but I'm really excited. About it. I'm getting close to being done with it. But so the pitch on this is just that I believe that fiction. So there's people that won't read our theological books, right? There's right. people that won't pick up a Bible study book, but they might pick up something with a spaceship on the cover. I'm trying to get the gospel to them too. And so, um, you know, Wait. so it's a it's a little bit of a sneak, but it's also, I think, going to be a fun sci-fi book. So uh, we'll see how it turns Wait out. Wait a minute. C.S. Lewis already did that with his space trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've- so C.S. Lewis is the expert, but I actually call this the C.S. Lewis uh, effect. And what it is, is lots of people started reading C.S. Lewis by either Narnia or the space trilogy. Mm-hmm. But guess what they did next? They said, huh. I wonder what else C.S. Lewis wrote. And they went and they found mere Christianity or, you know, any of his other theological works. And so it's a it's a method of like trying to get people in 
through entertainment and then enticing them, giving them some trust in, you know, how we create materials and maybe enticing them to read something that's a little bit more like, um, you know, eternal life, which by the way, I wanted to show, this is the new cover on eternal life. Uh, you guys have an old cover, but this yeah. is the new one. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. I think I've eaten enough of your evening. Uh, it felt like we were wrapping down and then I started talking again. So sorry about that. No. <laughs> so where can they reach and get all your information again? Freegrace.in is like the hub. Uh, yep. One more thing. We also Not are- .com, .in. .in. Yeah. We're also starting a Freegrace podcast for kids, um, which mm. is going to be out really soon. It's going to be called Freegrace Kids. It's so much fun. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of uh, excitement for kids. Excellent. It's designed to be short enough for kids commute to school or for them to listen to like in the morning before they start their homeschooling or if they go to public school or whatever, they can listen to it in the car. So, um, so anyway, lots of fun stuff at freegrace.in. Hope, uh, hope you guys can join us there. Yep. Gabe, any right. more questions? Nope. That covers it. Gary. <laughs> I oh. think we're all good. All right. Then let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. For Lucas, and we pray for his ministry that it be honoring to you, that it would lift up the name of Christ, and that many people would come to know him in a personal way, trust him for eternal life. We pray for Lucas that you would um, just use him, protect him, bless his family, Lord, as he ministers for you in this sin sick world in which we find ourselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we thank you again for joining us. Good to see you again. God bless yeah. you. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you, guys. Love what y'all are doing. This was a lot of fun. And sorry for all the technical problems. Oh, no. Stuff happens, (laughs) right? (laughs) All right, thanks. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. 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 you for listening to another episode of the book podcast if you liked what you heard and want to support us like follow subscribe on any podcasting platform on youtube on facebook instagram or twitter simply type in at hear the book pod at hear the book pod thank you see you next time